Hey, Moving Forward listeners, a quick disclaimer before you listen to this episode, which is part of the book writing miniseries that I recorded several years ago. The books I was a co-author on are no longer in print, and I have since permanently parted ways with my former co-author. As such, I have edited these episodes, removing as many mentions of the titles as possible. I'm also adding this disclaimer to minimize any confusion. The basic information contained within is still helpful, which is why I've decided to keep them on this podcast. I also encourage you to listen to episode 388 to learn more about the reasons behind my decision. Now that we've covered that, I hope you enjoy this series and find these episodes helpful. Thank you. Hey, John Lim here. We're moving forward with episode 242. Let's go ahead and jump right in. And uh, something I was thinking about, I've been thinking about this for a while now, is uh, communication. And we live in times where we are so connected whether it's our phones and mostly through our phones because we've got not only text messaging, email, and that thing called phone calls, but we've got social media connectivity. So Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. And yet I feel like, and I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like communication has become less consistent and more sporadic. It's one of those things where I... I think before we were so connected that communication was a regular stream where you would have to make the effort to, to get on the phone to talk to someone. And so if you made that effort, you would have long, meaningful conversations where you would uh, uh, go out and you would uh, talk in person. Whereas these days, I find that it's a lot of quick bursts, very short messages, very short communications, and then... Uh, Fortunately, getting together is more, uh, more I feel like, substantive, but I feel like our everyday communication has become much more bite-sized, and so I find that very interesting. And one of the reasons why I really love doing this podcast is because it allows me to do more of a long-form uh, communication uh, medium, so I feel like I'm talking with you you know, the listeners, and I feel like I'm able to share some quality time. But even this, I've compressed it. Uh, it used to be I did conversations, uh, interviews with different people, and those could go anywhere from 25 minutes to I've had episodes go over an hour. And this year, I've committed to making episodes about 10 minutes because the trend analysis I saw was that a lot of people would tune into the podcast at nine or 10 minute chunks, and then they'd either have to go back and listen to the rest of the episode or they, because, you know, everyone's busy, they wouldn't necessarily be able to finish a particular interview. So I'd, I've had uh, people say to me, I love your show, but I'm about 10 episodes behind. And so I wanted to tailor a format that was a little more intimate, a little more uh, just personal. And yet at the same time, uh, fits very well within that listener trend of maybe 10 minutes or less. So I'd love to hear how you deal with uh, modern day communication. Sometimes I struggle with it. I, I feel like especially uh, when I'm trying to connect with friends or, you know, when uh, and, you know when I'm going out on a date and getting to know uh, someone that I, I want to have that substantive communication, but sometimes it's it's not always possible. Uh, and so one of the things that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to actually leave my phone behind when I don't absolutely need it, not have it tied to me. You know, I'm, I'm going to try leaving it at home when I go to the gym or when I go to the pool uh, after work. I, I find that it is good to have periods away from the phone so you're not constantly looking at it and getting anxious because I feel like we program ourselves to become anxious for that, that hit, that notification. And I, I really 
really think that we need to move away a little bit of that from that, or at least have that balance. I'd love to hear what you do and how you kind of manage all the different communication channels and your communications with people. Uh, I'd love to hear kind of how you deal with that. All right, let's move into part two. So speaking of communications, they say that a picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, I'd love to talk to you today a little bit about photos. So as you're getting towards the um, um, end of your manuscript, one of the things that you may have thought about or you may start thinking about is whether or not you're going to use photos. Uh, And photos can really do uh, two things. They can help illustrate a point. So maybe if you're writing a business uh, book or a a how-to book, you might use photos to help illustrate your points. Photos can also bring context to the story that you're telling. And on that track, a friend of mine asked me about this recently who's been writing his book. So I thought today would be a good time to talk about it. So a couple of considerations when it comes to photos. Number one, copyright. If you don't, own the photo. If it's not your photo, then you're going to need to get permission from the person who holds the copyright. So um, make sure that you get the permission of the copyright holder to use photos if they're not your own. And uh, one thing that you're going to want to do is you're going to want to give credit. You can do that in the photo within the caption text, or you can do that in your acknowledgments. So definitely give credit. Make sure you have the uh, proper copyright. And again, it's just a matter, oftentimes it's just a matter of asking permission. And then what uh, what you might want to do is have them either sign a very simple release form saying, I give permission for such and such to use these photos for this book. Or uh, you can probably even do that over email. As long as you have it documented, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, just something very simple. Placement is something you're going to want to think about. Where do you want to put your photos? The most standard and simple layout is to have a section in the middle. Sometimes it can be at the end of the book. Um, Other times I've seen more complicated ones where the photos will be interspersed throughout the different chapters. It really is up to you, but just be aware that uh, the, the more intricate the design, the layout is, the more complicated it might be and the more work it might be if you're self-publishing. So that's entirely up to you. You can get very creative with it. I will say in terms of technical, Scrivener and Word. Now, Scrivener is very, very basic when it comes to photos. You're not going to be able to do a whole lot in terms of adjustment and placement. So you're just going to have to keep it very simple. Word, you're probably going to you're going to have a lot more options. So Word can act a little bit more like that desktop publishing where you can stretch them out, you can place them, you can do all kinds of different things. One consideration that you are going to want to think about is color versus black and white. Uh, and I will tell you now, if you publish your book as a ebook, th- that's usually not an issue. They're they're just going to pop up in color. But where it gets a little more complicated is in the print version. If you do a print version of your book, take into consideration whether or not you want to do color or black and white, because color printing is very expensive on KDP, and I imagine on any other self-publishing platform, and that will impact the price. So if you decide to go with color photos. Generally speaking, it's going to be a lot more expensive for the print version as opposed to going with black and white. The write-up for today's episode, as with the rest of the series, is available at bemovingforward.com. All right, part three, I'm going to highly recommend the book We Don't Need Roads, The Making of the Back to the Future Trilogy by Cassine Gaines. I give it four stars. It was excellent. I couldn't put it down. It's a very quick read. It's an in-depth look at the making of the Back to the Future films, which are such an iconic part of our culture But what was interesting is the story about the book was that it initially it was really hard to pitch that first film. 
And I love the story about how Bob Gale and Bob Zemeckis, the the writer and the director of Back to the Future, they had a really hard time getting it pitched. And they worked with their, you know, Bob Zemeckis as a mentor with Steven Spielberg and how they went around different studios. There's a lot of interesting stories about the, the making of this trilogy. I thought some of the more interesting ones was the casting issues with Michael J. Fox. He was working on Family Ties. And they I don't know if you know this, but they originally cast Eric Stoltz. And then they ended up switching about a fourth of the way through, which is really that wouldn't that would be almost unheard of today. But it, the book goes into depth on that. Also, the casting controversies with uh, Crispin Glover, who did not return for part two. They replaced uh, the actor for George McFly. All different interesting stories, how they created the hoverboards, including a really unfortunate stunt accident that occurred with filming uh, one of the crash scenes. So, uh, But there are also a lot of fun stories, a lot of light stories, uh, stories with cast and crew. Highly recommend it. I absolutely love this book. If you love this type of stuff, you will really enjoy uh, this book. Uh, I'll be back next week. Have a great week. And remember, always be moving forward.